I believe that. Open your Bibles up to the book of Revelation, if you'd be willing, chapter 1. I want to look with you again at verse 5. I've been beating you to death over these first couple verses. Apologize. I'm a little slow in my studies. Hope you brought your Bibles. I want to uh, uh, really uh, kind of have you flipping back and forth just a bit through a number of passages of scriptures that I, I want you to see with your own two eyes. But uh, I want to share with you tonight out of verse 5, and we backed up the last couple nights and looked at verse 4, but that's going to, that was for a point, and that's going to come in handy, what we're going to look at tonight. Again, when you come into the book of Revelation, and we haven't really dealt with this too much uh, yet, but when you get to the book of Revelation, um, based on what we're finding in the first three verses, which is an attachment to the prophecy, again, verses 1 through 3 is the prologue, it is a statement before, a word before the actual book of prophecy. So before you ever get into the prophecy, John says, hey, I want to give you a word before the prophecy, a focusing statement for the reader. And of course, what's taking place in the prophecy uh, is, uh, is, a, is an absolute focus upon Jesus, which is what these first three verses tell us. Uh, everything that's taking place is taking place uh, to reveal who Jesus is, which is really, really important. Because ultimately, when we see who Jesus is, we see who we have been called to be. So Jesus is the focus of the book of uh, Revelation. And it is uh, ultimately the, it is the accomplishment of all that God set out to accomplish in the redemption of man. I found this really surprising. I didn't expect it. But um, what you basically have is at the beginning of the book of uh, Genesis, you have the creation of man, the relationship that, that man has with God, and out of that relationship you have the purpose for man, and there is a purpose for man. Okay? And the purpose for man goes beyond the relationship. The purpose is found in the relationship. So God created man in, in, for intimacy with himself, and when he's in intimacy with himself, man finds his purpose. Okay? So that is how the whole thing began, but man fell from that. Hey, he fell out of relationship with God. He, he, he was separated from God. Uh, of his own choice, he fell into sin and therefore lost his purpose. And so you have, in the book of Revelation then, the restoration of the relationship with man, and again, along with that then, because of the relationship, you have him restored to his purpose. Now, we've been talking about this, and one of the reasons that I bring this up is, I've kind of heard all my life that heaven is talked about as this big retirement community in the sky. Really, we're going to play shuffleboard when we get there, hey, no lifting weights, we're going to play shuffleboard and uh, maybe golf, we'll have our own little carts and kind of thing, and it'll be neat. You ever been to a retirement community? I have a revival in Sun City Church of the Nazarene in Sun City, Arizona. You can't live there unless you're 55 or older. <laughs> I couldn't even park my motorhome in town. I had to park in the next town and commute in every night uh, because I wasn't 55 or older. It's a retirement community, and it's just, it was interesting. And, and I remember thinking to myself, not that that's bad, but if that's what heaven is, I'm not going. I mean, come on, you know? I'm not, hey, I mean, I'll go, I guess, but, you know, that's what I'm, see, I'm finding that that's some of the language that we have. I mean, hey, our songs are about that, and, and hey, I won't labor anymore, and I get my mansion in the sky, and, and see, one of the things that we're finding is, 
is that the whole creation and God creating man and, and his purpose in that relationship halted when man fell into sin. And what we're finding, and this has been fantastic, in the book of Revelation, if you've never read this, and we're not going to read it tonight for, for time's sake, when you come to the end of the book of Revelation, 19, 20, and 21, there's all, see, the, the purpose of man in right relationship with God is restored. Hey, we are going to be in a new heaven and new earth. And in chapters 19, 20, and 21, it tells us specifically that there's going to be an economy. There's going to be king, uh, hey, there's going to be kings over all the earth, and they're going to bring their splendor into the new Jerusalem in the city. Wow. I'm going to be a taxi cab driver in this <laughs> car. Hey, I mean, we've got purpose, man. See, so, hey, really, this is just boot camp for the real deal when we get there. It's just fantastic. And so Revelation, you understand, is a we-win. It is a, an accomplishment. It is God says, hey, everything that I ever sought out uh, in the redemption of man is seen in Jesus Christ, which is a restoration of the relationship. And in that relationship, I find my purpose, which begins now, which tells us being a Christian is not just getting in the right relationship and then coming in and plopping in here and tick-tock, tick-tock till Jesus comes back or I croak one of two. See, that's not... That's not what the whole Christian deal is about. Is in relationship with Him, I find my purpose in the kingdom. And I'm an integral part of that. We know that with the, Paul's language, with the gifts of the Spirit kind of stuff. We have an arm and a leg, I'm a mouth. Uh, we have all of these aspects of the kingdom. And pastor doesn't have them all. Not even close. <laughs> uh, but because he's not supposed to have them all. That the body in right relationship with him, we find our purpose. Do you hate me? You give me that look. Um, so, hey, this is really, really crucial. So the book of Revelation is the accomplishment and the restoration of right relationship with God. And in that right relationship with God, we find our purpose. We find what man was created for, which, of course, is fantastic. And this is, of course, alluded to and is, and is uh, stated blatantly in the prologue. Now, when you get into the uh, introduction, before we really get into the, the, the nitty-gritty nuts and bolts of the prophecy, there's a number of things that we really have given a lot of attention to, and they center in on verses 4 and 5. In verses 4 and 5, you have grace and peace being extended from our Godhead. Okay? And, and our God is presented functionally. And I've really had to come to grips with this because the emphasis in verses 4 and 5 is not placed on their name, it's placed on their person. As if you learn so much in who they are. When you see them, you see their function as they participate in the redemption of man. And we've given some illustrations of this, but for instance, God is one in purpose, three in function. See, God comes along, God comes along and says, hey, we have got to do something about man. He has the image of God in relation. There's none like him. We've got to redeem that guy. And the others are like, hey, that's a great idea. In fact, we all came up with it at the same time. And we've got the plan, the purpose. We have got to redeem man. And, of course, the Holy Spirit says, hey, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down and I'm going to be the mediator between God and man. I'm going to reveal us to him. And I'm going to, hey, I'm going to resource him. And I'm going to be the source by which he lives and restore him. And, of course, I'm going to be the road by, roadway by which I grab him and yank him into intimacy with us. And Jesus says, that's great. In fact, I'm going to go down and I'm going to, be, I'm going to become the incarnate Christ and I'm going to identify with them and, and you're going to come in and fill me and I'm going to demonstrate the kind of life that they're called to live. And the father said, wow, man, don't leave me out. I'm going to be the initiator and the mover and I'm going to be the overseer and the planner. And One purpose, all three have that function in that purpose. 
And we see their function in extending grace and peace in verses 4 and 5. Now, we've looked at some of this over the last few nights. Uh, and I want to give us just a quick, a quick recap, not over the grammar, but over what we looked at. First off, we understand that salvation, salvation is a relationship I've been calling it a relationship restoration. Hey, we are restored in right relationship with God. And in that relationship restoration, there is, man finds his purpose. Man is restored in right relationship with God to who man was created to be. And I am, I am just constantly, uh, and this is several years ago, uh, we did this study and I won't go back to the details of that study, but Luther constantly suggested, and if you can find this in his writings fairly easily, he constantly suggested, and it's obvious, that this is not who we are called to be. We're not to be frail. Do you realize that man was created to be the supreme of all of God's creation? Period. I mean, we know some of the evidence of that now in terms of scientifically, we only use like 2% of our bodies. Our, our minds, I mean, our, our, our brain capacity. Some of us, one and a half, <laughs> probably in that group. I mean, hey, we were created to be the supreme mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Luther suggested that man in his unfallen state was faster than a cheetah, stronger than a bear. He was just, wow. He says we see examples of that strung throughout the Old Testament, for instance, in Samson and those kind of deals. Which is why, of course, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus comes with those who are redeemed, the earth quail. Because they see real men. <laughs> anyway, so hey, when we, we're talking about, hey, the purpose of man being restored, we are going to be real. We're going to have new bodies. We're not going to fall apart at the age 70. Come on. We're going to be restored in right relationship with Him, and man is going to be who God has called him to be. Phenomenal. That's the salvation plan. Now, this has been really interesting to me, because when you get in the book of Revelation, and you see the, the, the function of the Holy Spirit specifically, and the Father has an important function that we haven't gotten to this week, and of course we looked a little bit at Jesus, but when you see the Holy Spirit's function, and what He's doing in the redemption of man, when you say redemption, it's restoring man to the way He was. So when we see that, for instance, the Holy Spirit plays the role of three specific things we've looked at. The Holy Spirit plays the role of the revealer. Okay? He reveals God to man. That tells us that Adam, hey, we are being restored to know God the way that Adam knew God. Jesus was the example of that. Jesus, in fact, Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. Okay? So, hey, we are, hey, he plays the role of a revealer, and we've looked at that. In John chapter uh, 16, verses 12 through 16, we can know him beyond physical kind of stuff. Not like the disciples even knew him. And that, again, just absolutely baffles me. It's, I mean, how, how much more can you know a person if they come and live inside of your body? <laughs> come on. See, we're not talking about information kind of stuff. See, I believe we can know God in the passion of His heart. Have you ever turned on a television set? See, the problem with legalism and living by rules 
is it's God, it assumes that God's out there and he, he gives me these rules, you know. Hey, yeah, he publishes them in the newspaper and I try to keep up with them and do the best that I can. But God's out there and I try to... Now that's over against what Jeremiah the prophet said, and you always listen to Jeremiah the prophet. But Jeremiah the prophet said that a day is coming when God's going to take his rules and write them on the... So they're not going to be something that we memorize, they're going to be something that we could you imagine being passionate about what he's passionate about? To not get up in the morning and have to say, okay, I've got to go evangelize. But to get up and say, I can't help. See, some of the things that you find us ranting and raving about, it's not that you don't witness, it's how do you keep from witnessing. That's the spiritual issue. See, that's, that's, that's the deal that we're dealing with. Wouldn't it be phenomenal to genuinely see the way he sees and feel the way, I am so tired. I'm so tired of feeling different than the way he feels, seeing different than the way he sees. I want to be a Christian. Which is why when we're looking at in here in verse 5 and we're talking about Jesus, the attributes of Jesus, these are not activities, they're his person. They're nouns, they're not verbs. When it says Jesus is the witness, it's not that he witnesses, he is, so he can't pay. <laughs> he is a witness. As I am a human being, I don't have to say, oh, I've got to eat today. Dude, I'm going to eat, man. And I've watched some of you eat. So, see, that's what we're talking about here in this. It's about being that. And again, it's the difference between being a Christian and doing Christian stuff. So the Holy Spirit, hey, when he, he says he reveals God to man, it is a knowing him. It's a knowing him in the fiber of my bones. I know without the list, I know the kind of things that Jesus would watch and the kind of things he wasn't, wouldn't watch. And he likes lost, just so, you, just so you know. Okay, so hey, the Holy Spirit plays the, the role of the revealer, which means in the Holy Spirit he restores to man the knowledge of God that Adam had. We can know him. Know him, okay? And of course, Paul uh, uh, suggests that this is only in part, and that when we, hey, the real deal is later, but we're getting in on it now already. The next aspect of the Holy Spirit is that he plays the role of the resourcer, which is not a word. And we uh, haven't looked at this one with you, but I want you to look with me, if you have your Bibles open, to John chapter 15. Jesus gives an outstanding uh, illustration of this. And if uh, you're familiar with it, I'm sure. It's the vine and the branch kind of stuff. Uh, see, if we're cut off from him, we lose our source. We become a dried up branch. So the Holy Spirit restores the kind of, the, the kind of source to live the life that we've been called to live. See, he restores that in us. And uh, Jesus begins talking about this vine, I'm the vine, and my father's the gardener. It cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear fruit. Verse 3, you're already clean. Verse 4, he says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branch. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. It's a, it's a really interesting picture, a picture of hell. It's, it's, what do you do with a dead branch? It's useless. You burn the thing. See, I want to be plugged in. 
And again, that's the, we gave an illustration last night of a talents kind of deal. I mean, hey, if you're not plugged in. So, hey, the Holy Spirit plays the role of the resourcer, which tells us he is literally, the Holy Spirit plays the role in the redemptive plan of God. We're restoring man to the way that Adam was before he fell. So seeing the Holy Spirit, we see who Adam was, we see who man was created to be. Does that make sense? That's really important to me. The third aspect of the Holy Spirit we've been looking at is he plays the road, uh, uh, the role of the roadway. And again, we saw that in John chapter 17, uh, verses 20, was it 20 and 21? Yeah. Verses 20 and 21. That man was created not to be Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not to be like really close to God. Man was created to dwell in intimacy and oneness with Him. <laughs> Just fantastic. The kind of oneness that He is, and His oneness is the kind of oneness that you and I are to be with Him. That's one, man. That's really one. And so, hey, in this relationship, we find our purpose. We know Him. We're sourced by Him. We're in intimacy and relationship with Him. And this is the plan of salvation. And we're only seeing here on this earth, we're only seeing just this much of this kind of thing. But we're seeing it now. We're seeing part of it now. We're seeing that now. Okay? So this is really, really significant. Now, Revelation chapter 1. In looking at the Holy Spirit in verse 4, you, you launch right into verse 5, which of course is focused on Jesus. This here, Jesus demonstrated to us what this looked like. That's really significant. Jesus demonstrated to us what this looks like. So Jesus is not only one who enables man, he paid the price. He not only enabled man to be uh, saved, but once he enabled man, he demonstrated what you and I are to look like. Which is again, and we can go back to John chapter 14, Jesus says stuff like, hey, the things that I've been doing, you're going to do. As I have overcome, you will overcome. The way that I talk to the Father, you're going to talk to the Father. In my character and purpose, as I live, you're going to live. Okay? Now, we, so we therefore we've looked at the aspects of Jesus, because when you look at the aspects of Jesus, you're looking at who you're called to be. Jesus is the faithful. He's the witness. He's the firstborn. He's the ruler. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the ruler idea. I'm really excited about this. And again, ruler is not an activity. It's a noun. There's a difference between ruling and being a ruler. That makes sense? Jesus, in his person, as the portrayal of what redeemed man is to look like, he is, in his person, the ruler. Which made me wonder, hey, I kind of like that. Ruler. I think that goes good with me. Jeremiah the ruler. Yeah. I think I can work with that. But what does that mean? So we really got into this term, and I want to walk you through some of the details of it or some of our studies with it. Uh, first off, you understand that the term ruler uh, in the New Testament uh, has a number of different uses and uh, a couple of different uh, translations. But uh, we've been finding that the, the term ruler is used, and this is just my language to describe it, it's used in what I would call a limited capacity. And then... Uh, almost an, in some ways an unlimited capacity or a greater capacity. So you have a limited or lesser capacity and then you have an unlimited or at least a greater capacity in which this word is used. Let me give you an example. Of the limited rule, 
I mean, and those are pretty obvious. We know of limited rulers. Um, back in the biblical times, of course, you had Herod. And he ruled over what province in the Roman area? Judea. He was ruler of, over Judea. Now, that's great, and that's good. Hey, it'd be nice to rule over Judea. But that's a limited, because it's limited just to, uh, just to Judea. But then, you had an, uh, uh, someone who was a greater ruler, but it's still limited. It was a Roman ruler. He, rule over, he ruled over all the Roman territory, and that didn't last. So he had a, hey, over mo most of the world of that day, he ruled. The Caesar ruled, but it's still a limited. And that wasn't just Roman kind of stuff. Uh, for instance, there were the ruling class in Israel. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 is among the leadership ruler of uh, the people. He was one of the rulers. You know, in Luke chapter 18, the story of the rich young... He was a part of the ruling class in, in Jerusalem. So that's how that word is used, ruler. But it's used in a lesser capacity. It's used in a limited capacity. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, we're not talking about a limited small capacity, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Not one or two of them, not three or four of them, not half of them, not most of them. He's ruler over... So you have an, a greater capacity. Now, this was fantastic to me, because in that capacity, not in a limited capacity, but in that capacity, um, you only have three people who are associated in that. One of the people, one of the, one of the and I, I guess you couldn't call them people, I thought the angels would be in that group because the angels are even pictured as being rulers. But they don't rule in the capacity that Jesus rules. For instance, there was this passage in, uh, in uh, Daniel, and I'll just read this to you. There's this passage in Daniel that talks about uh, the angels and where they rule. And the angels and where they rule is not in the unlimited, it's in the limited. I mean, they rule the man, more than man rules, but hey, they, uh, in, in the fallen state of man, that is, but they don't rule in an unlimited capacity. This man appears to Daniel in chapter 10, and of course, uh, he touches Daniel, and Daniel's scared to death, he thinks he's going to die. Verse 12, uh, chapter 10 in the book of Daniel, listen to what happens. Uh, this guy says, hey, Daniel... Since the first day that you set your mind to gaining understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. And this guy is Gabriel. I think it's Gabriel, isn't it? Good old Gabe. I should know I'm preaching. We'll say it's Gabriel. Anyway, he says, hey, but the prince of the Persian kingdom, that word prince, it's translated prince, but in the Greek, it's actually the word ruler. Same word in the book of Revelation. He says, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. It's a spiritual deal. It's a spiritual person. Okay? An, an, a, an evil angel of some sort. A fallen angel. Then it says, he says, then Michael, one of the chief prince's rulers, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain. So he's talking about all these spiritual rulers, by the way, which Paul talks about in the book of, Eph uh, book of Ephesians, that there's rulers in the, in the heavenly realm. But they are even, that's a limited kind of deal, the way that that's talked about. And it's not on the level of the, what I'm calling, the greater or unlimited ruling in which this word is used. Only three are used to, uh, in this kind of capacity. God, who has an ultimate unlimited rule, Jesus 
who's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the, hey, ruler of the principalities. Everything's placed under his feet kind of rule. And guess who else? Satan. Satan, hey, he has that kind of rule. Now, it's not unlimited rule, but it's certainly greater than all the other. He's even over all the spiritual princes kind of deal. It's a greater rule. Now, my first question was, where did he get this kind of rule? You know, the New Testament tells us. The New Testament tells us. I want you to turn. I want you to look at this for yourself um, in Luke chapter 6. Matthew chapter 4 is probably the more familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, where basically the enemy, and while you're going to Luke, I'll read you the Matthew passage, but the enemy takes Jesus up and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Remember this? He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And, of course, he says to him, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. So he's like, listen, he, he, he assumes, and, hey, he's not corrected. He says, listen, this is all mine. All the kingdoms of the world. That's king of kings and hey, that kind of deal. That's mine. That's, that's the ruling that Satan stands in. Hey, that's mine. I'll give it to you if you worship me. And I, I, I never really caught on to the full weight of that until I looked at the Luke, uh, Luke's account, the Lukean account. And Satan explains it a little more. In Luke chapter, oh, it's not chapter 6, chapter 4, verse 6, this is what Satan says to Jesus. Check this out. Verse 5, the devil led up, led Jesus up to a high place and showed him uh, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I will give you all of their authority, because he has that. I'll give you all of their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. See, he had that. And, I can, and then he finishes and says, and I can give it to whoever I want to. Mine. And of course I thought, hey, well, what knucklehead gave that to Satan? Guess who gave that to Satan? We did. Man gave that. God didn't give that to Satan. Man gave that to Satan. Now, if you remember, we looked at this already, and I want you to turn back with me to the book of Genesis. Man was created to rule over the earth. Okay, back to here. In right relationship with God, knowing Him, being sourced by Him, and intimacy with Him, He was in that relationship. Hey, he, he had the purpose and position to rule. God created Him in right relationship to rule over all the earth. Chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image. That's this kind of thing. Relational capacity. He says, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures who move along the ground. Man was to rule. Man was created like that. Man did all the naming. And it's interesting that Satan is not, and I'm still working through some of this, but Satan is not on the level, I don't think, of the normal angel. He's a fallen angel. And the imagery of Satan in the garden was really interesting. Do you know Satan, think about this, do you know Satan came in the garden as a snake? A snake. Man rules over the snake. See, they weren't scared of Satan in the garden. In fact, the, uh, in the New Testament, what did Jesus do? He crushes it with his heel. One thing, it's done. It's kind of like, it's a gardener snake. You don't run from that thing, you run over it with the mower. It's done. That's it, man. That's how he's pictured. See, that, that, he lies. He lies. He's not this all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing. No. Hey, that's not the story. And when he comes in the garden, and again, uh, you have uh, 
man in this position of rule and over the earth and all of this, Satan comes in the garden and, hey, he tempts man. And all sin is, again, and we've looked at this, and it's amazing how this all fits together, but sin is basically man out here. He's got his own place. Self-rule. And one of the things I found interesting is Satan wanted man's to see. Satan wanted man's to You know Satan's jealous of you? I, this is new news to me. Satan is jealous. He wanted to rule from the beginning. Listen to this. Isaiah. I'm sure you've read this. He says, and Isaiah uh, prophesies about this. You said in your heart... Oh, first it begins. How, oh, how you have fallen from heaven. Oh, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne. That's rule stuff. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. See, he wanted to rule from the beginning. He was jealous of. He wanted to rule. God knocked him down the side, tossed him down to earth. No. Okay, he was punished for that. So he came to man, and man was created in the image of God, not angels, and man in a position of rule, and Satan came and usurped and tricked him. And what Satan tempted with was his own nature. Self-rule, self-sovereignty. And of course, hey, in fact, the whole temptation scene is, in chapter 3, is the key to the whole, and there's a lot of it, but he comes and he basically lies and says, hey, you're not going to die if you eat and all this stuff. And she says, oh, hey, God said this, and he said, no, God said that. And in chapter 3, verse 4, Satan says, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. That's the Isaiah 14 stuff. You can rule like you don't need to be sourced by him. Source yourself. You don't need to be controlled under Hey, control yourself. And so man sin, which means, hey, I'm not going to be in your plan. I got my plan. I'm not going to be in your plan not eating the fruit. I'm going to eat the fruit. I'm going to see through my eyes and my way. And that's self, hey, that's self-centeredness, self-sourcing. And that's what sin was. And so man handed over the rule. And from that point on, there's a, obviously man was deceived by the enemy. I found it interesting that the early, all the way up through the latter parts of the Old Testament, Satan is called the accuser. That was his role. That, that was his main role. He wasn't looked at as this great, high, powerful figure in terms of a proper noun. Satan as a proper noun wasn't used to the later ends of the Old Testament. He was the accuser. He was the one that shows up with Job and says, Hey, man did this, God. Don't forget. Hey, he, he, he accused man. Hey, man, hey, he fell from that. He's not, he's not in here anymore. He's not in right relationship. He isn't ruler anymore. He fell from that. He's the, he, is the, uh, uh, he is the accuser and he deceived man and, and he lies, man, puts man in bondage. And so the enemy literally, by the time you get to the New Testament, and again, uh, I wish there was a, a kind of a systematic theology on how that took place, but by the time you get to the New Testament, Satan looks at Jesus and says, yeah, hey, man's days are over. I own all this stuff now. Man was created to be, I do it now. Man's position was, that's mine now. And that's man. That, 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 that was man's position, but I've taken it over. Now what's phenomenal is Jesus says, not anymore. <laughs> and man 
hey, in Christ, Christ restores man to the position that he was supposed to be. And we talked about that, both relationally and in right relationship. What is restored to man in Christ is we can know God like we never knew him before. In Christ, you and I can know God like Adam did. He's the second one. In Christ, we can operate in the source that Adam operated in. In Christ, we can be at one with God the way that Adam was. But he wasn't, and in right relationship, it doesn't just stop there, man finds his purpose. Now, let me give you a couple passages of this. I'll try to not be too excited, okay? Turn over with me. I apologize, make you turn with me this many places, but I want you to look in the book of Hebrews with me. Chapter 2. This is so neat. See, Jesus comes along and crushes Satan's head. In fact, Paul says he makes a public spectacle of him. This is fantastic. Just embarrasses him all over the place. Just shuts the whole thing down and says, you're done. Hey, your, your position of authority over man is done. And man in Christ is restored to where God has called him to be. And here's some examples of it. Here's how the book of Hebrews, here's how the author of Hebrews talks about it. Man uh, in chapter 2, verse 5. Listen to what he says. He says, it is not to angels. Listen to this language. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. And there is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him, by the way, a little lower than the angels, and yet you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under, under him, God left nothing. You hear that language? God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And it goes on to talk about how Jesus paved the way in for not just Jesus, but all the sons of God could reign the way God has called them to be. Wow! <laughs> I'll be excited enough about both of it, uh, for both of us. See, in Christ we are restored. We're restored. And we are rulers. Not activity stuff, but we literally, hey, in our being, we were created to conquer. We were created to overcome. And, uh, hey, uh, we've been looking at Revelation, so I wanted to give you a couple examples of this in Revelation. Uh, you're in Hebrews. Turn just a few pages into Revelation chapter 2. I've given you one of these already. But listen to what Jesus says to the church at Thyatira. He says in verse 26 to this church, he says, To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. And what kind of authority is he talking about? He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like a pottery. The same messianic uh, title that was applied to Jesus is the same. He's the first of many sons, folks. You and I are going to be seated with him in the heavenly realms and are going to reign with him on his throne. In fact, he says, just as I have received uh, authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. That's what he says to Thyatira, but look what he says to Laodicea in the next chapter, chapter 3. <laughs> Listen to this. Chapter 3, verse 21. The last thing that he says to Laodicea, the lukewarm group. He says, verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Wow. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Wow. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. 
Man is going to be restored. And Satan, you understand, uses the same tricks against us that he used to against Adam. I, hey, the sign of a Christian life is a victorious life. And if we're not living a victorious life, it's not because Satan has come and beat me up and I'm, I'm helpless. I literally gave him authority over me in my life. Period. He dangles self-sovereignty in front of me. Jeremiah, you don't want to see through God's eyes in this situation? Hey, we know how we can take care of this thing. And you don't want to look at men and women the way God does? Hey, see them through your... That's the same trick, man. He's not that sharp. He hasn't come up with new stuff. And Paul says that. He says, now, hey, don't get arrogant, because arrogant is self-centeredness again. You don't go, hey, after him. You're out of the resource of God. It's almost a pity kind of thing. He doesn't have any new tricks. Wouldn't it be phenomenal to walk in your home and say, God, in your name, I'm taking back this place right here. Reign here through my life. Let me be an example. Hey, I'm going, we, I do this. And you can make fun of me if you like, most people do anyway. But when I travel, I go into a motel room. I open that door. I don't know who's been in there. And I don't know what kind of junk they brought in that room or who reigned there. But when I walk in, I openly say, a son of God is on the scene taking us back this week. <laughs> the kingdom is oh, in that place. We're watching what I want to watch this week, which is what he wants to watch, which, of course, is lost. <laughs> and so, hey, I'm taking back. When you go, imagine going to the gym like that, walking in the gym and saying, a son of God is on the scene. Let's take it back, Jesus. Let's take it back. In the restoration. Wouldn't it be phenomenal to live like that? Wouldn't it be neat in your person to be able to live as a conqueror and an overcomer? And walk every day in the intimacy and oneness and not be some anemic, frail, sin-ridden, But to say, Jesus, hey, I'm going to be in oneness and intimacy with you. I want you to reveal yourself to me. I want you to come in my life and subdue what I cannot subdue. I no longer want to rule. I, know what, I no longer want to control myself. I want to be self-controlled. I no longer want to see through my own eyes. I want to see through your eyes. Hey, I, I'm abandoning this plan, and I'm going to come back to the way man was created to be, in intimacy and oneness with you, and the fullness of who you are to flow in my life, and take control of everything. Hey, all the fruit of the Spirit, let it grow, man. And the gifts of the Spirit, let it flow in my life. And I want to be in intimacy with you, and I want to walk in, hey, I want to be a living representation of Jesus Christ in my world. In fact, Paul says, we are the aroma of Christ among those who are perishing and being saved. And the enemy quails at us. Are you ruling? Are you overcoming? What, what would be the application of that? I, I've been struggling with the application. This is brand new. First group I've ever shared it with. The only application I've come up with is, I want that! <laughs> I want it in my life. I want that in my life. I want that in my motorhome. I want that in the relationship with my wife. I want that in the relationship with my son. Jesus, whatever you've got to do to yank me out of that. 
And right in here, I want that. Jesus, we love you tonight. We thank you for the truth of your word. And when I say, Jesus, that I thank you for the truth of your word, my eyes are being opened every day to who I am in Christ. My son, he's a young man. He's a male. And as he's growing in the reality of what that is, I feel like I'm growing in the reality of who I am in Christ. Every day you open my eyes a little bit more to who I'm called to be. I'm open, Jesus. I'm open. Use me in your kingdom. I want to partner. I want to be in. I want to give myself to. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I, I, don't, I don't like the pulling you down by the teeth down to an altar. But why wouldn't you respond to that? I don't... My first response in studying this is that if that was not full-blown in my life, even if the preacher said, don't come down, I'd have, he'd have to fight me because I'd, I'd be flying. I'd, I'd crush the altar, slamming my fist down saying, Jesus, that has got to take place in my life. Because I'm so tired of being controlled by the enemy, controlled by my bodily drives, controlled by my emotions. I'm so done with that. I want to live as Christ lived in the overcoming, the one who never sinned. In Christ, I want that kind of domination in my life, bringing everything under His power. I want to live in intimacy with Him. I want, I want to live ways that I cannot possibly live. I want, to, I want to have drives that I should not possibly have. I want to live in ways that make people look around and say, good night, whatever that kid's in, I want in on. I do. I want to be victorious. I do. I want in on this whole thing. I'm selling the whole field for it. And I, I do. I want to give you an opportunity tonight to respond. And if He's speaking to you tonight. And, and what we've just described, if that doesn't look like your life, hey, get in. Because it's already accomplished in Christ. He's just saying, if you want it, hey, Come and be who God has always dreamed you could be. In a few moments, we're going we're gonna to close. Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your word. We want to respond tonight. Would you help those of us, God, even in this moment, because we couldn't even respond without you. Would you come in the power of your Holy Spirit and grab us by our shirt and lift us up and I want to be an overcomer. I want to walk through my world as a demonstration of one who overcomes and lives the life that God has called me to live. It is possible. I want to respond tonight, Jesus.